You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Hey everybody, welcome to Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me today is... Robert Thomas. Lex Cardone. And we're recording on December 1st, 2020. Holy shit, it's December. Almost, almost done. Almost done. <laughs> yeah, but it's going to be like, there's about three more months of uh, 2020, at least. Yeah. Plenty uh, of time for possibly, extra fuckery. Possibly some other weird time dilation effects, who knows. I feel like it's just, I think it's just going to, when it goes to midnight on you know December 31st, it's just going to take over into December 32nd. Ryan, there are already like 5,000 different memes that have beat you to the punch on variations of that one. Yeah, yeah. I know. I stole them from them because they're, you know, they're clever, right? Well, uh, yeah. I, I mean, hopefully, <laughs> it feels like every year since like 2017, 2016, we've been like, oh, man, this is so 2018 or 2019. And 2020 just hit the fan even more. What, what fun does 2021 bring? Who's to say? Hopefully Armageddon or Collapse of Society, whatever comes first. Yeah, That's uh, Ryan's that spoiler for... that he voted for uh, Sweet Meteor of Death for every position <laughs> in the last election. <laughs> Even school board? Yeah, Even for... Especially <laughs> school board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, we're going to talk about Turkey tonight. And it's mostly because we have and I don't know, even even like recently episodes, like we did our last episode on France, and then we did an episode on Armenia, Azerbaijan, we talked about Turkey. Our Turkey's come up, and how many times over the last couple of years we've done this. And we never did an episode on it, so it's like, you know, maybe we should just go ahead and uh, do that. It's about a time. We want to give Sultan Erdogan his, um, his proper respect. And there is no shortage of uh, fun stuff to dig into with Turkish geopolitics. Yeah, they're, they're heavily involved in, like, neighbors and other issues and just they're they're kind of in the middle of everything which makes sense where they're geographically located mm-hmm. truly living into the geographic position uh bridging europe and asia yeah but uh as usual can get into what we're drinking lex what are you drinking uh today i am drinking a 364 pale ale from l smith Brewer in san diego it's a San Diego style pale ale, and it's or sorry, three not three sixty four. Apologies, it's three ninety four, which is the it's um, a special collaboration between this brewery and Tony Gwynn. Um, any baseball fans out there? He I think he holds the record for best like year or average year. Um, he hit three ninety four in nineteen ninety four. So they did like a commemorative thing with him, and it's actually a pretty solid beer. Um, very drinkable. Um, about six percent, which it doesn't taste it, so it's uh one of those dangerous cookout beers that'll sneak up on you. But cheers, it's tasty. Nice, Rob. Well, uh, now that we got War and Peace from Lex on his beer, uh, I just have a Cabernet Sauvignon from a place called Prophecy Wines in California that I picked up originally because it had a fun picture on the bottle, and I like Cabernet Sauvignon and. I liked it, and I got it again. I'll take it. 
Sure. I got War and Peace. You gave the short little beach read. Totally fine. The opposite of normal. No judgment. <laughs> <laughs> no judgment. It's just with a little drop of judgment, though. And uh, I'm drinking Bell's Official. It's a hazy IPA. I've never tried it until just now, so we're going to see how it is. From uh, Michigan, right? Is that Bell? Is this? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, they have good stuff. Oh, yeah, I like this. This is good. I really like this actually a lot. Nice. This is about 6.4%. Okay. So uh, we'll see how this episode goes. <laughs> 6.4 rocket. Not great. Not terrible. Yeah, it's it's, you know, it's better than the usual five, but you know, it's not mm-hmm. going to. Not gonna wreck it. It's like we've gotten those other beers that have been like ten percent. We're like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah, that'll get you. Those will get you. I'm thinking. That, I'm thinking trying to do that for the holiday episode, but we'll see what happens. So yeah, Turkey. It really kind of. So anyways, I heard of the Ottoman Empire. Turkey is the is basically the result of that after the First World War, where the Ottomans were part of the Axis and they lost. They're okay. It's dip. Yeah, you're mixing up your world wars, Ryan. They all kind of blend together. What did I say? You said access, not central powers. And the oh, two nerds, geez, geez, the, geez, the, geez. the two of us just kind of cringed in our nerdy little shoes. Yeah, Christ. Yeah, and so to be fair, power. it's arguably two acts of one enormous decades-long conflict anyway. But yeah. So after World War One, they basically <laughs> divvied up the Ottoman Empire, mostly going to Britain, a little bit of France, uh, like in the Gulf and all the Middle East countries. Um, and Turkey was kind of left, you know, I mean, they basically had all the occupying powers there, which people said, fuck that, and, uh, had their own little revolution and kicked all the occupying powers out and got rid of the Sultan said, we're not doing that shit anymore either. Any Ottoman rule. And, uh, they started the, the, the Republic of Turkey and really based on secularism and kind of that kind of deal. And kind of before they've had, uh, like five coups in their history. Um, they replace people they don't like. who have been basically viewed as detrimental to. Uh... Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, I, you do have a particularly interesting dynamic with the kinds of coups that you've had in yeah. Turkey, where uh, the Turkish military has often seen itself as sort of the guarantor of uh, the modern secular Turkish legacy of Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, the sort of founding father uh, of modern Turkey. And so it's sort of this weird situation where you had a history of coups framed as maintaining the status quo instead of changing it, which is a little odd compared to what you get in many, many other countries' cases. And they uh, they had until so they failed one in 2016, but we'll talk about that a little later. <laughs> um, you know, kind of went through secularism, and then World War II happens. They stay neutral. Um, I think they signed a Treaty of Britain saying, like, hey, if we're attacked, you know, they'll help us. Nazis never invaded, so never really rose. And then uh, they very early on joined NATO. I think in 1952, uh, one of the first people to join, mostly because they were so. Uh, they weren't really pumped with the whole Soviet Union thing and how aggressive they were being and kind of standing all that up. Almost yeah, that... like there are centuries of uh, conflict and tension between the <laughs> Turks and the Russians. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Something <laughs> else that goes way back. Uh... Yeah, and, and no fuck that uh, move. 
and really Turkey went through the history. You know, it's kind of like been viewed as you know as secular and very liberalized for the for that part of the world and that kind of deal. And they've moved through history and then you know doing pretty well for themselves for the most part. Nothing you know kind of meandering being being part of NATO different different things we've had there of like us housing missiles there and all kinds of issues like that and uh, missile defense systems which Russia never likes and we gotta get to the modern day and it's been kind of nuts the last couple of years yeah a big reversal of I mean up until for most of the 20th century and the early chunk of the 21st century um, when people talked about Turkey they talked about it being western facing as in being an aspiring EU nation, which I guess technically it still is, but um, <laughs> I, but no one seriously, either within the EU or within the Turkish government, really care about that point. The kind of focus of Turkey right now, foreign policy-wise, ha- has shifted east, not east. Not to say that it's still, there are significant flashpoints with Greece, one of its many ancient adversaries going back to the you know, Gerard Butler and his 300 Spartans. Um, but, but um, yeah, I'm, no, I'm not even going to touch that one. <laughs> Historically accurate film. Yeah. And yeah, read a book. <laughs> yeah. So, and now, but now we, we kind of see this return under uh, uh, Erd- Pr- Prime Minister. Or Prime, is he pres- he's president? He's president, president yeah. now. President for life. Yeah, whatever Prime he Minister. Is. Yeah. Well, he was Prime Minister for a while. Then he changed the Constitution. Then the coup, ha- the latest coup happened, and we saw what Rob was talking about—the military, um, which was the guarantor of, you know, Ataturk's legacy—has um, now been kind of brought into line. If you were from the perspective of the uh, AKP, the ruling party of Turkey, um, so now they seem to function more like a typical NATO military subordinate to the civilian command. However, they're much more active externally than they were um, for most of the NATO period. Well, worth notice, noting also that the the AKP is a sort of more moderate Islamist party, um, not not a hardline one the way you see in in certain Middle Eastern countries, but is an Islamist party uh, and has been kind of in, in governing coalitions with uh, other kind of nationalist-leaning parties. Uh, and that sort that sort of leaning led, led them to start chipping away at certain aspects of secularism in the country, which is what was arguably the, the key determinant or a key determinant in the failed coup attempt back in 2016. So let me. I want to talk about the coup real quick because I remember. Uh, so I used to work in an operations center. So I used to work in an operations center for an international organization, and it was like about two, well, about two p.m. in, in D.C. And I'm sitting there and looking, through, getting like getting all this information coming in through some of our sources. I was an intelligence analyst, and like, the fuck is this? Like they're putting bridges on. There's troops moving around Istanbul. I'm like, oh, this is weird. Maybe it's a big counterterror operation. Maybe it's something. I'm like. Then there's a clip of an F-16 flying low in the city. I was like, oh, shit. I'm like, like, for a brief second, I was like, is someone invading? I'm like, no, no one's there. That's insane. Then I, I was like, oh, my God, it's a coup. Ah, I, yes. I, yeah, I stand up, turn around to my shift supervisor, and he's like, what's up? I'm like, I think there's a coup in Turkey. 
He goes, what? Like, I think it's a coup in Turkey right now. He's like, fuck. And I'm like, yep. And that was the next eight hours of my fucking, like, nine hours of my life. Yeah. And that was, it was nine hours before the coup actually fell apart. So it was very, you, you, you spent the entirety of it, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was, work. it was a it whole, was, it was, it was less good. than a shift. Yeah. yeah. I, remember, I just remember Erdogan on, uh, on, on like, uh, what was it? Was he using like WhatsApp or Telegram or something like that? Basically saying, I'm still the president. Yeah, which he which survived. He, it was, so he was yeah, still the prime so, minister. It was impressive. Yeah. But now, in the wake, I think, I, I don't know if you want to get into the nitty gritty of that, but like in the wake of that, you have these massive purges across all of the Turkish government, the civil society, down to like professors and politicians and media. the army was the, the media certainly so you have a much more um it was it whether or not i mean the 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 fringe theory out there is that uh erdogan either knew about it or at least turned the other way because it ended up being such a boon for him to as an excuse to round up uh or to sort of align the country more behind his vision um but you can watch out for those goonists. Yeah, either way, either way, it, uh, it it definitely changed the trajectory in ways that I'm sure the perpetrators of the coup did not <laughs> expect. Yeah, or... yeah. I, th- I thought they were like, okay, we're going to overthrow Erdogan, and then we're going to, you know, status quo military goes back to being military, no kind of like military dictatorship. Didn't go that way. And they, we see aggression more from turkey since then like outwardly not even internally i mean also internally but also outwardly also very much internally you've seen the muzzle of most of the muzzling of most of turkish civil society in the wake of the july 2016 coup in ways that were not really i mean turkey was never rated as a super free you know uh liberal small l place um, but now you've definitely seen more of a tightening of the internal, like the, the army was always pretty powerful, but now you're seeing the internal security apparatus, um, kind of rising in influence in ways that it wasn't really that significant before. Makes me think of death of Stalin. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, Stalin a, did that's a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> we should do an episode just on that movie. Um, in, in case others are not clear, uh, from our enormous audience of total strangers uh instead of just like our family and friends um our friends the three of us and, and, and the three of us and kevin uh did catch the death of stalin in theaters together and uh had about the uh nerdy good time that you'd expect yeah we're basically a four-person fan club of that film and uh that's I'm pretty sure every time I've ever watched the movie, it's been with you guys all and all, all together. So it's been pretty, before the before time is the last time I watched it, I guess. Yeah. Well, maybe once COVID is over, we'll get back and do another screening. We can always <laughs> do like a Netflix watch party or yeah. something. Apparently, that's a thing. I've never done it, but yeah. Anyway, so. we're getting we're getting <laughs> extremely off topic. It's totally we not never my fault. Do that. <laughs> well, so, an easy uh, segue here is that that uh, internal. Uh, crackdown and tightening of power has definitely been accompanied by a pretty significant increase in uh, outward aggressive and interventionist foreign policy. Uh, Turkey has uh, has always had a sort of unique position because of its sort of status as a bridge straddling 
uh, Europe and Asia, Europe and the Middle East. Um, but it has become a lot more uh, outwardly interventionist uh, in just the last couple of years, uh, ranging from a very complicated and shifting set of uh, military interventions in Syria to uh, escalation recently of uh, decades-old ongoing uh, territorial disputes with Greece and Cyprus uh, to uh, recently putting its uh, hand on the scales pretty heavily in the latest round of conflicts between Azerbaijan and Armenia in the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region uh, in the Caucasus. So it's kind of like everywhere you look um, within a couple hundred kilometer radius of, of Turkish territory, they have been embroiled in something in the last uh, three years or so. Yeah, and it's such a departure from Turkey's recent history. I mean, you've kind of had this sense that they've been indispensable for the West and they've been told they've been in- indispensable for the NATO to the NATO alliance for a lot of very good reasons. Um, but they've kind of haven't really had their own independent foreign policy until very, very recently. I mean, the only external inter, I mean, to be fair, the, uh, they had a, their hands full with the PKK insurgency internally. So there wasn't much room for this kind of adventurism that we're seeing now. Uh, for those the, unfamiliar the- with the region is a, a Kurdish, uh, militant group and there's there's a whole whole um, convoluted set of uh, <laughs> dynamics there with different Kurdish groups stretched across uh, Turkish, Iraqi, Iranian uh, and Syrian territory that have convoluted relationships with yeah. each other and with each of those countries and they are a huge source of uh, consternation and angst for uh, Turkish leadership. Yeah, very. Uh, that would require its own episodes, or probably ten episodes, to really unpack that. <laughs> yeah, but just the, to list all of the players would take ten episodes. Oh, for sure. And to, well, for me to pronounce all the players, that would take <laughs> its own episode. <laughs> We're good for those. Nagorno Karabakh. Yeah. Oh God. The Turkey uh, podcast. Where uh, we are now. After my next pirate cruise, how about we do that then? <laughs> That'll be what finally sets Lex up to become a linguist. Yes. Um, (laughs) Speaking in tongues, I think they call it. Um, Yeah, but before that... Going on some interesting pirate cruises. Yeah. Um, (laughs) That just put a great image in my head. Anyway, but like Turkish, external Turkish operations were pretty much, I mean, they played a, 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 a small but very significant role in the Korean War. They were in the Balkans in the 90s, but it was always under this kind of NATO umbrella. Now they're kind of going rogue, so to speak, and and sort of pushing their own interests um, backed by force. And you can, I mean, there are two sides to this argument. Like, is this the the classic argument for here is like, is this has this been effective? Well, it depends on who you ask. I mean, if you ask the Turkish government. They say things like, well, you know, now people are, we used to be kind of a backwater or not a backwater, but like a second tier NATO power. And now people are treating us as um, individual or, you know, we have our individual goals here and we're on on a more equal playing field with the rest of the world. But if you ask pretty much any one of Turkey's neighbors, except for Azerbaijan, probably, um, they haven't made too many friends in their neighborhood with these uh, various 
conflicts that they've both been dragged into and embroiled themselves. Yeah, they, they want they want to kind of engage themselves more than the whole like, the greater Middle Middle East like the kind of power struggle. Like look at Libya, like they um, they support the national the UN recognized government in Tripoli. Um, they've they've supplied troops, drones, Syrian like 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 basically Syrian allied fighters. Like basically just like hey, you want to go fight in Libya for some money? All yeah. right, cool, go ahead. That's we'll, an interesting. We'll, we'll yeah, there. that's an interesting because like typically you look at polls of like of um you know, the Turkish population and these external, the favorability ratings of these external interventions, not surprisingly vary based on how far they are from Turkey. Um, Syria and Azerbaijan uh, are much more favorable, even amongst Tur- Turkish opposition leaders who have a lot um, to oppose Erdogan and the AKP on. But the further you go, uh, the Libyan intervention, for example, is not very popular. Um, not a huge shock, but it's just um, you know. they've had they've had actual like ca- like, like like Turkish casualties there. Oh, yeah, people and are just like, well, why are we fighting there? They've they keep pushing NATO in the recent meetings. They keep pushing NATO to like do something about Libya, and it's funny. NATO, the people who maybe kicked off the uh, chaos, um, are basically coming back. They, they, they didn't finish the fight. Is what the fuck? Well, they're like, oh, well, now it's over. Yeah, but now, but most of NATO is pretty much aligned against behind the U.S. and France against Turkey. Like, stop mixing things up in Libya. Stop mixing things up with Azerbaijan, and so it's. Uh, yeah, it's if, you want us, if you want to, if you want, if you want us to, uh, you want to hear us talk about uh, Azerbaijan, Armenia. We did an episode uh, keeping up the Caucasus. Uh, it's like episode seventy-two, I think. So check it out. That name makes me cringe a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, whose idea was that? Whose idea was that? Uh, it was a good idea, first of all. And <laughs> hashtag K uh, keeping up with the caucuses with a K. So I didn't. I didn't. To, I got, for, the, for the record, though, just sorry, Rob. We don't I, have I, to I gotta straighten this out. For the record, I didn't spell caucuses with a K because I'm not an asshole. God, missed opportunity. It, it, your justification was highly suspect there. Um. <laughs> anyway, Rob, as you were. <laughs> I mean, all of all of this really uh, high octane interventionism and and conflicts in every direction is really quite an interesting change of pace. I mean, that and and the level of tension with uh, other NATO allies and with EU countries. um, I mean, you don't have to go very far back uh, to see a very, very, very different picture. You, you go back 10 years ago and everyone and their brother was extremely bullish on uh, Turkey as a sort of key and increasingly important uh, regional and global player, uh, as a key uh, growing economy, as really a, a crucial model uh, of successful integration of Islam and if not liberal, then increasingly liberal democracy. Uh, and I mean, Turkey was was sort of a, a go-to positive uh, reference for commentators a- across the world and, and in Europe. Um, and there's been quite a rapid shift um, on all kinds of fronts. 
uh, and I mean, we talked about the 2016 coup attempt as a real accelerant in certain changes uh, domestically, but that's not a a deus ex machina kind of dropping from the sky to change everything magically on its own. So there's, a, I think, a lot of interesting stuff to unpack about how did we get from there to here in the last decade? Well, his name, his name rhymes with Erdogan. Uh, <laughs> he, I mean, I mean, he's been, he's been, he's been running the country since what, 2002, something like that. Yeah, in, uh, in all but name, in, some in various sense, guises. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his whole backstory: what he was the mayor of Istanbul or something, which is yeah. is that the, which is typically, I mean. Anything, it's one of those international cities. Anything you could say about Istanbul is true in a certain sense. But it's also very much sort of the Western-facing, I mean, European-facing, that whole, the Aegean coast of Turkey is the stronghold of the CHP, the original uh, Kemalist party. Um, So it's interesting to see a guy like that come out of that environment. Um, and sort of reorient himself into this. I mean, people mock him as the modern sultan, but um, it's the Eastern focus. And, you know, especially with the recent, you know, sort of scaling back of the American presence in the Middle East, it's only picked up the pace. Um, you know, he's uh, he's turned Turkey into a real, um, a regional player. And, and, and because of these connections to all these different uh, regional hubs of economic activity, political activity that he, he's really um, definitely made them a force to be reckoned with. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is up for serious debate, um, but it's definitely a different mindset than the traditional, you know, we're going to protect our borders, we're going to defeat the PKK, we're going to, you know, maintain this sort of um, alignment. Yeah, I mean, and, and like he's—they've gotten recognition. They've thought also the you know what's kind of disappeared is the. Uh, I wouldn't say completely disappeared. That's that's that'd be bold to say, but like, really reduce the po- possibility that um, Turkey joins the European Union, which was a goal for them for a little while because they it would benefit them economically and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been a been a bit a been a bit, and it's kind of like there's all kinds of stuff that. Are you know the the great the stuff of Greece and uh, Cyprus recently, um, you know the Eastern Mediterranean they're basically fighting over not really fighting not actual fighting but just like you know the the you know they keep okay we're gonna talk about this and Turkey sends out their survey ship to go look for oil and stuff like that in the Aegean and stuff like in the Eastern Mediterranean, and then you get stuff like okay well you know what here's things you need to do in order to become like not not necessarily these things you need to change at least and just stuff like you need to recognize armenian genocide which erdogan will never do yeah no turkish politician could ever get away with that and maintain a career um and and then the 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 refugee issue that's kicked off too i don't think we've touched that yet i mean now there's there's just so many hardline negotiations between the uh turkey and the eu about the refugees coming in from syria and Erdogan weaponizing them as like a you know to gain leverage and bailouts from the EU and it's just it's um yeah it's like well you know if uh, you uh you don't do this then maybe we'll just let those refugees go into your country 
Yeah, it's crazy because technically they're still negotiating on like the the EU Turkey dialogue isn't dead yet, which is insane. But it, now it's it feels like they're negotiating with each other, like well, with the it, divorce already planned. Well, <laughs> it had already been in a really weird semi-frozen state for quite a while before this this recent uh, more aggressive foreign policy. Uh, style emerged uh, and there are a lot of interesting complicated dynamics uh, involved in that I mean you, you have genuine deep-seated conflicts between Turkey uh, on the one hand and Greece and Cyprus on the other or EU members that go back uh, decades and have their roots in the Ottoman era history where uh, a lot of the territory of uh, southeastern Europe, including Greece and, and various Balkan countries, was at one point under Ottoman rule. Um, you also have uh, a lot of pushback that has has come from Vienna in particular. Um, I don't know, maybe uh, still centuries old um, bitterness uh, from the 1600s uh, attempted Ottoman uh, conquest of Vienna. <laughs> people don't forget i mean there's but, also stuff they but, argue but then, then, but then a lot of a lot of talk about uh sort of racial cultural and religious dynamics uh and there there have long been a lot of a uh, lot of people in europe uh arguing against turkish eu membership uh on the grounds that because of one or more of those three factors they uh don't belong uh, in some way. And that was true back when you had Turkish policy much more oriented towards uh, liberalizing and integrating with Europe. So I don't want to kind of overplay the idea that uh, this this recent more aggressive and more authoritarian uh, transition in Turkish policy was uh, something that kind of out of the blue disrupted a, an disrupted. otherwise smooth thing. And frankly, there's a lot of argument that that's part of Erdogan's success, is frustration yeah. in Turkey over uh, that those sort of lingering uh, failures to feel like they were getting paid their due by Europe. Yeah, that's a good point to make. It's it seems like it's kind of a shift out of the out of the ordinary, but it's it's kind of it's built on, as with everything, it's built on layers of this kind of dialogue, um, both being attempted and failing. So, Well, then domestically, I mean, Erdogan has, he's taken advantage of all of, all of those dynamics with Europe, but at the same time, he's also, he's also used a lot of these things as, as sort of a mask, it seems, to make it more, um, more about his own highly personalized vision. Uh, and I mean, he has, he has repeatedly collaborated with and then sidelined or purged uh, various domestic partners. I mean, Fethullah Gulen, uh, the, the cleric and, and the Gulenists were at one point very close allies of Erdogan uh, and, and his uh, group in the AKP. Uh, and now they are, treated as public enemy number one and accused of being the uh, masterminds behind the 2016 coup attempt. Um, 
so there's there's been this outward ramping up of aggression coupled with uh in a, a domestic marginalization of allies let alone uh domestic opponents yeah ryan you look like you're deep in thought yeah What's I, up, I, I i was i was i was gonna bring up something regarding the goodness and like domestic stuff i just it just fucking it went away yeah well i, I guess along with the domestic stuff like um the uh a lot of things have been kind of subsumed into this akp erdogan vision of turkey's future and the turkish economy has kind of taken hits for it that's what uh, i wanted to bring yeah, i want to talk about the economy yeah, <laughs> and how the lira is plunging and it's just even before COVID, it was a mess and now it's it's something but as with a lot of these authoritarian states they kind of use that as like a this is a message or you know it's like yeah times are tough now but a it's because of these foreign bad actors and these domestic bad actors and these other foreign bad actors and these other domestic bad actors and my and my son-in-law yeah and my son-in-law who was was the finance, the finance minister. minister for a minute and then and then and then he, he got he made to he was made to fall on his sword um but yeah you i in i think the second part of it though is the bigger thing it's like it's kind of this mentality of collective struggle it's like what not denying the fact that you know, salaries of your average Turkish citizen are not buying today what they bought a year ago or five years ago or anything like that. It's, you know, yeah, these are not trying to hide the fact that that's happening. It's, you know, this economic pain is only temporary. Just wait, you're going to reap the rewards soon enough, which is kind of putting a target on his back because there's only so long that people can kind of put up with the, just wait, it's, it's, you know, everything's going to be good just around the corner. Um, you know, you, you saw that kind of talk. I, I'm, I'm not saying there's going to be a revolution or something. I'm not going out on a limb there. But you, you definitely saw that kind of talk in a lot of places that um, once the political situation caught up with the economic situation, things went bad quickly. Well, maybe that's why he's so pushing the um, the Eastern Mediterranean energy source stuff, because like... That'd be that'd be crucial for them because most I, I believe most of their imported energy is oh sorry most of their energy is imported from other places, which including the it's, Kurdish it's, regional government, which is a whole fucking thing. Yeah, place, also places they have a uh, we we haven't really gone over their Muslim Brotherhood connection, but like they get a lot of very good trade benefits from Qatar, but especially from places like Saudi Arabia, who they're not exactly on the same page when it comes to political Islam. Um, whether it's all. backing Hamas or backing the Syrian rebel or backing these Syrian rebels versus these Syrian rebels, and so yeah, they're looking to diversify. It's and it's pushing them into conflict with Greece, uh, Cyprus, and Israel, which obviously they've never had the best relationships with Israel, but they've always had a working relationship with Israel. Well, I'll, I'll, so I'll, I'll tell you this: the relationship with Israel, real quick, because like um, I, I, uh, they used to actually like so. As you know, Turkey's gotten most of the weapons from the U.S. over the like, over the years. Um, in an older weapon, so like the so example, like the M60 tank system, they would send it to Israel. Israel would refit it and send it back to Turkey, and they used to buy a lot of weapons from Israel until the the 2010 flotilla incident happened. I was living in Israel when that happened. I was just like, oh shit! So they told that, and then then that all that kind of business went away. Um, oh, we're not besties anymore. Yeah, oh. yeah. 
But that became kind of a rallying cry for, I mean, we can't forget the AKP is largely based in Islamism. It may not be hardline Islamism, but Islam is a critical component to AKP electoral success and Erdogan's own political career. Gotta so play that base. That kind of, and then if you're friends with the Muslim Brotherhood, you can't really go be making too many backroom deals with uh, their number one enemy. So that really fed, um, not so much recently, but in the early 2010s, that really fed the AKP's growth. That kind of him, Erdogan using um, Israel and the Palestinian issue to their own advantage. Well, and pivoting back just for a moment to the the economics piece of it, I mean, no amount of energy resource access in the eastern Mediterranean can in the long run make up for structural problems with economic policy uh, at, at the fiscal, monetary, or, or regulatory levels. And there, there is always a just intractable tension between authoritarian domestic politics and sound economic policy that I think is, is one key facet of a broader aspect of authoritarianism, which is, it's essentially like anabolic steroids for a nation. It makes your, your muscles look big and strong in the short term uh, in terms of your uh, domestic uh, political stability and your international presence. But in the long run, it trashes your cardiovascular system, your hormones, <laughs> all of the other things that are essential to your long-term health. Yeah. Uh, and and that's that's what you see time and time again uh, in in any form of authoritarian politics, whether it's still in a nominally democratic system or in a, a more uh, solidly uh, dictatorial system. That that's something that holds across uh, across the board. Yeah, but it could buy him time. Yeah, and that's what he looks at. He looks at. Um, I mean, honestly, this isn't just an, an authoritarian thing. I mean, politicians and governments generally, uh, when they see an easy option and a hard option, they choose the easy option, even if they're, you know, hooks at the end of it. But like, yeah, it's it, rather than um, say, hey, we're going to do a bunch of boring structural moves to shore up our economy, um, the attractive politically thing is we're going to exploit all these new energy resources and everything's going to be fine uh, and it's going to be done before the next internal election um, and that's a I mean yeah I think it's I agree with you I think it's more common in the more personality cult centered governments but it's that's something that impacts any government the you know uh, writing policy and implementing policy for the next election cycle yeah. I mean, those temptations are always there, but what authoritarian political dynamics do is they structurally undermine exactly the uh, different sets of checks and balances uh, and competing power structures that, A, at least somewhat moderate those bad tendencies that are, that are in many ways universal, and B, that provide some learning mechanisms and some mechanisms for change in policy. Right. Uh, yeah. you, you you erode those in authoritarian political climates, again, even if it's still in a nominally democratic structure. Yeah. So we're getting down to it. Uh, a couple minutes left. 
Is there anything we want to talk about in that time? Like Russia or drones or anything? I mean, I could. I always like talking about Russia. They're always fun and jolly. <laughs> yeah, they have such a weird. They have such a weird relationship with Russia. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's 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 common with Turkey now to have these weird frenemy relationships with everybody around them. But Russia strikes in my mind as the biggest one because I mean they back opposite sides in Libya. They back opposite sides in Syria. Um, that like and in Nagorno-Karabakh. Uh, yeah, I mean, Armenia and Azerbaijan. They they kind of, I mean, Russia's more of a neutral power, but it definitely leans towards Armenia. But, no, it, it's just, it, it's very, like, but they still have so many similarities in both governing structure, um, external outlook, being kind of a sort of revisionist, you know, charting our own destiny kind of thing, you know, not letting the Westerners tell us what to do. Um, it's just fascinating to me how they, simultaneously have so much in common but regionally historically um almost everything about their particular setup whether it's geographic or otherwise kind of points to them being adversaries um so there's people you know every time you think there's going to be a great you know coming together rapprochement whatever you want to call it then turkey shoots down a russian jet or I remember the, the, that shit was the crazy. Russians, the Russians do something horrible somewhere, and it's it's just such a uh, that would make a great but, reality but show. Is, we have the weapons deals that's ongoing, it's like the yeah. S four hundreds, um, and then also if that goes well, they want to buy Russian fighter jets, which is like Turkey, is, you're a NATO country. What the fuck are you doing, is, bro? Well, yeah, but it's like which is like I mean, great for them because they've really pissed off the Americans, and that's really pissed off the rest of NATO, and it's just. Uh, oh my God! Turkey it's, um, wild torpedoed card. its chances at continuing to participate in the F thirty five program. Oh yeah, uh, they, and they, don't oh, get me wrong, what, what there are a lot of problems with the F thirty five, but shit. compared to compared to a lot of the alternatives that they would otherwise be getting, yeah, it's still better than the Russian crap they're going to get. Which is just like it, it, it's I don't know. I mean, if they're going to maybe maybe he's going to like go with this until the end and then back out. But S 400, I think, he, I think is supposed to be happening still. And yeah. then the next, for next those of you who aren't suit. clear, that's an anti-aircraft missile system. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And like, despite the problems with the F 35, it's still probably the best next generation thing you can get for like it, it with that multi-role capacity. But the S 400 is, is very, I don't know. It depends on what Turkey's thinking in the long game. Like, are they trying to protect their skies? Are they trying to expand their light to medium range, um, you know, uh, force projection? So it's, who knows? It's, it's fast. I mean, it's, it's so, it's such, such a, a it's, such, yeah. it's such, it's just a thumb in the eye of NATO. It's what it really is. And I think it's just basically that. I think they want to be wooed back to, just, I, I think, I think they want to be wooed back to, you know, be like, Hey, Love us again. They're just they're yeah. playing hard to get, guys. But they're they're buying the best surface to air missile system. Like maybe they just want the best surface to air missile system. I I, <laughs> I I don't think it's that. It's definitely political. But yeah, um, yeah. So good. We're just trying to buy the best. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's crazy. Turkey's doing a lot of crazy shit. It just uh, I mean, it all it all makes sense, I guess, for them. But it's still kind of just. It's very. Well, it makes them it's very complicated. Erdogan's circle. I mean, a lot of yeah. a lot of it is not 
necessarily in the interest of interests of Turkey as a nation or oh, of God, no. the Turkish people. Yeah. Uh, Tur- and Turkish and military the- is scratching their heads a bit. Like I'm we sorry. don't want that. We want yeah. the F thirty five. And the, I mean, the future of um, Turkish politics after Erdogan's presidential term runs out um, in terms of whether he looks to maneuver for uh, continued control in some way um, explicitly or behind the scenes. Uh, and then if so, whether he succeeds or if he does step aside and and we see a change in leadership, I mean, with any of those different uh, outcomes it will be very interesting to see uh, where Turkish policy goes because I mean, again it's just in the last three to four years that we've seen a lot of this really dramatic transformation of certain key international moves and and of the domestic situation and that in turn is uh, just the latest in a series of significant changes from only 10 years ago so there are still term limits in Turkey under the new constitution? I, I think it's 2023 <laughs> that he's uh, supposed to have his uh, term run out. Okay. Well, let's double check. They're, they're kind of authoritarian, but they haven't quite gone up to snuff yet. So just give them time and they'll, uh, they'll, they'll get rid of those pesky term limits. No problem. Yeah, president for life. It's, how you, it's the best yeah. way to do it. That's what everyone says. But uh, yeah, hopefully not. Yeah, would certainly <laughs> that, not be healthy yeah. for Turkey. Yeah. But uh, with that lovely note, that's time. So uh, that was almost tomatic. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Okay. Oh, God There's, damn it. Rob? Yes. There was one final thing that I did want to add. Okay. Just that. I mean, given its its size, its location, uh, and and all of its natural advantages, there's no way that Turkey ever ends up being uh, an irrelevant player uh it's it's always going to be important on the world stage the question is uh how healthy and how responsible is is political leadership in turkey going to be and what's that going to mean for how it plays out that role on the world stage definitely something to look forward to and something to watch where that goes yeah i mean i love turkish airlines (laughs) (laughs) but uh okay by Turkish Airlines. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish. We fly low over Istanbul. <laughs> now you're gonna get their executives purged. Now I'm yeah, I'm gonna get Good the eject- I'm gonna get upgraded to first class and then ejected out the side of the 747. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. That was almost to a medic. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs>